This is your first Sunday here at New Life. You have picked a great day to begin as we're starting this series of messages on friendship. If there is something that we desperately need today, it's learning to be friends. Somebody once said, a friend is somebody who knows who you are, understands where you have been, accepts what you have become, and still gently helps you grow. When you think about a friend, who do you think of? Who comes to mind for you? I think of Dickie Kepler for some reason, like one of my first friends when I was in church. We got in trouble a whole bunch together in the little kids' classes. Friendship, true friend. Somebody said a friend, a true friend, remembers your birthday but not your age. Who do you think of when you think of your true friends? A true friend is somebody when you step into their house, their Wi-Fi automatically connects to your phone. Pretty good measure today. What is a true friend? Who do you think of when true friends? The irony of friendship is that they are so simple that we begin them when we're very young. Even a child can be a friend, and yet they are so difficult and complicated, we still work on them until the day we die. So today we're going to talk in this series about a couple of true friends from the Old Testament of the Bible, Ruth and Naomi. They teach us a lot about the art of friendship, about connection. We live in a world filled with 8 billion people, but still so many are lonely today. 43% of people say that even though they're in relationships, they don't feel like they have any relationships that are meaningful. 46% say they sometimes or always feel alone. Strikingly, younger adults are the loneliest demographic. Albert Schweitzer said, we are all so much together, but we're all dying of loneliness. Two unusual friends that we find here in the in Ruth and Naomi, their story is found in the eighth book of the Bible, in the Old Testament of the Bible. If you ever wonder if the Bible is relevant, you want to get to know the story of Ruth and Naomi. Two people who go through some very difficult times, times when it would have been very easy for them to be self-centered, showing all of their, uh, giving all of their energy to selfish interests, and yet they are faithful, godly friends. And God uses that not only to bless them, but believe it or not, to actually bless you as well. You are touched by this godly friendship. So let's take a look at their story, learn some lessons along the way, and then make a couple of applications at the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that your word is living and active. I pray that you would speak powerfully, that you would do something that is more than we can see. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Ruth 1.1 begins quite dramatically. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. This would be about 1,300 years before Christ. A man left Bethlehem in Judah. You're saying, Bethlehem, huh? That sounds familiar. Have you ever heard of Bethlehem before? It's almost Christmas. Pretty soon it's going to be Christmas. There was a baby born in Bethlehem. wonder if there's a connection. Hold that thought. He left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. 
The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Would everybody who's named Malon and Kilion please stand up today? Not names that we normally give our kids. Um, dramatic beginning to the story. If you've ever moved away from home, you know kind of the emotion going on here at the very beginning. Um, I remember when I first moved to college, I had grown up in small town, moved to a city, grew up around people and family and church that I'd always known, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, a whole bunch of people that I didn't know. And yet, you know, it's that whole thing about small, big, big doors swing on small hinges. I think, boy, how my life changed because of that small change. Their lives completely change in this moment. It is quite a traumatic move to go from Bethlehem, a hundred miles east, across the Jordanian, or across the, um, uh, the, the, the Judean mountains, across the Jordan River, into Moab. Not only is it a transition of distance, it's a transition of cultures. The Moabites are pagans. They worship idols. But they have to go because they're hungry. There's a famine in the land. And the first thing that happens is Elimelech dies, and Naomi's left a widow. But at least she has her two adult sons, and they decide they're going to st- settle there in Moab. Verse 3, she took the, she, her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah, the second named Ruth. And they lived in Moab for about 10 years, and they settled, and things seemed to be going okay until... Verse 5, both Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why they died. Maybe there was a plague. Maybe there was an accident at work. Maybe they just got into bad debt with the wrong people. We don't know for sure. All we know is they died. I think Morton Salt gets the, say, the, the, the phrase right. When it rains, it pours. You ever experienced that? Life can go on pretty normal for a long period of time, and then all of a sudden, like Shakespeare said, when sorrows come, they don't come in as single spies, but in battalions. It's pouring sorrows here on Naomi. She decides, I don't want to stay here. Moab doesn't have anything for me anymore. I'm going to go back home to Bethlehem. And she says to her daughters-in-law, why don't you stay here? You know, marry Moabite men, have Moabite babies, you know, build back Moab better, make Moab great again, or whatever you want to do. Just stay here and make Moab. It just makes sense for you to do that. I'll go have. But at first they said, no, we'll go with you. And then on the way, they hadn't gone very far before Naomi says again to them, really, you're not obligated to me. And Orpah decides to go back. But Ruth, it says in verse 14, clung to her. Verse 15, look, sister, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, let's read this out loud together, verses 16 and 17. Read it out loud. Don't be afraid with me. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people 
and your God will be my God. Where, I, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. We're going to look back and say this is a huge decision for Ruth's life. This is a decision that has historic consequences that she can't even appreciate. But this tells you something about, a lot about Ruth's character. She is so faithful. The pragmatic thing for her is to go back to Moab. It's her family. It's where she's always known. It's where she can have Moabite husband. It's just, it's settled. It's safe. But despite the pragmatism and despite, quite frankly, their differences, she goes. Naomi and Ruth are so different. Different nationalities, different cultures, different religion, different ages. They're not even related by blood. They're in-laws. You have to admit, this is an unusual relationship for a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. I mean, we've been asked people to invite their guests today. How many of you are guests today because you were invited by a daughter-in-law? How many of you invited in-laws today? How many of you are talking to your in-laws these days? You know, this is really unusual closeness with in-laws. Here's the first takeaway from this story. Good friendships develop because people are united in God. Despite their differences, they develop this strong relationship because their foundation is God himself. Verse 16, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Whatever else may have bonded Ruth and Naomi, the strength of their bond was the God of the Bible. The Moabites, you see, worship false gods. In their time together, Naomi had shared her God with Ruth. And Ruth listened. And Ruth watched. And Ruth saw that there's something different in Naomi. She carries herself in a different way. She has a different kind of character. She has a different kind of peace about her. She walks with a different kind of purpose. Ruth comes to believe in Naomi's God. And so she's like, your God will be my God. I will leave my people because your God is true. And that gives a sufficient foundation for a strong relationship. You know, human nature is to gravitate toward people with whom we have a lot in common. And if all that we have in common is the lower story, the secular story, not the upper story, not, not a relationship with God, not that we're following God, Jesus is a good shepherd, but just kind of lower story, people will, people will unite on secular shallow things because we are a similar age or similar interests or similar ethnic backgrounds or similar skin colors. We'll be attracted to people because, well, I get something out of this relationship. We think that people somehow speak for us, represent us if they are like us in gender or like us in appearance. But the reality is, the Bible says, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Not that those things no longer exist, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. All of those things don't matter 
because what unifies, don't, don't, don't divide us because we are united in Christ. What brings unity is truth. We will never be unified on opinions. Relationships are built on trust, and trust is built on truth. And if one person thinks, you know, the Bible says, don't, you know, what do you call good, evil, and evil, good? If, 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 if one person calls good, evil, and evil, good, and another person calls good, good, and evil, evil, it doesn't matter the skin color. It doesn't matter the gender. What really matters is what is the ultimate truth that unites us? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And that is why there is a unity among followers of God like you can find in no other place. We are unified in Christ because we have a common way to identify. Made in the image of God and therefore everyone is worthy of respect. We are bonded by a common purpose, loving God and loving people with all of our hearts. We're bonded by a common grace. The reality is, you don't do the things that you want to do. You do the things you don't want to do. That's just like I am. I am a sinner saved by grace. And because I need grace and you need grace, we are bonded together at the foot of the cross. And that is why you can travel around the world. Many of you traveled around the world. You know what this is like. I've been to places like, you know, um, uh, Nepal and India and Ecuador and and, and Israel and other places. And it's, a, and it's just this wonderful thing to meet people for the first time who are followers of Jesus Christ and you pray with them for the first time and it's like you've been family forever. There is a bond in Christ that can be found nowhere else. Now Jesus said that he will also be the cause of great division because people who call evil good and good evil will never be united in Christ. But Ruth and Naomi are bonded, not just by suffering, but by God. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Now, when Ruth and Naomi walk back into Bethlehem, after 10 years of being gone, Bethlehem is probably about a population of the people in this room. And people have lived there generation after generation. So they walk in and people recognize them. Verse 19, when they returned to Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about her arrival, Naomi. But the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi, the years have not been look good to you. You know, it looks like you've been fighting Mike Tyson and not winning. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. There's another evidence of Ruth's faithfulness. Do you like to be around unhappy people, negative people? You like to be around Eeyores? You know, people are kind of like the glass is always empty and it's probably filled with poison anyway. Naomi has, you know, there's an old birthday card that says, may you live to a gripe old age. That's Naomi. She's griping all the time. Is that the kind of person you want to be around? Now, Naomi's not always been like this, but this is a bitter season for her. I don't know about you, but I would, <laughs> I'd want to keep my distance. Kind of like, I like to be around people who make me laugh. I like being around people who are in good moods. You're kind of depressing, Naomi. But Ruth's a good faithful friend because she's a friend in good times and bitter times. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. Christian friends 
are born for difficult times because we aren't friends because of what we get out of the friendship. We are friends because Jesus Christ is our Lord and we love just because people are worthy of being loved. Ruth's that kind of friend. Back in Bethlehem, Ruth realizes she needs to get a job. They need to bring in some income. She doesn't have a lot of options. And so basically she goes and does what the poor people do. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Did you know that gleaning is still legal in Israel? You're still allowed to go and glean in the fields. Um, that's, that was God's way of providing for the poor. According to Old Testament law, the harvesters were not supposed to harvest the corners of the field. And once they were harvesting the field, if stuff fell down, if they missed stuff the first time, they weren't supposed to go back and pick it up. That was for the poor to be able to come. And so that's the position that, Naomi, that, that Ruth takes at this point. This is not quite like begging on a street corner. It's more like picking up recycling to sell for cash. Verse 3 says, halfway through says, Ruth happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. If you have your Bibles open, underline that word, uh, those words, just happened. Who is Boaz? Boaz's name literally means man of strength, to be strong. He's a man's man. He is, he's a strong man, not just physically, but spiritually as well. He is from Elimelech's family, which means he's related to Naomi, which means he has an opportunity here to really be, to really be a hero. But I love that expression, just happened. That's a lower story kind of thing. If you're just looking at these things kind of from a, a life developing way, it just seems like it just happened. Upper story, we know. God's story, it, it didn't just happen. Now, sometimes people say accidents don't happen. Yes, they do. Okay? Um, pagans think accidents don't happen, that the fates are in control. No, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes bad stuff just happens. Now, the good news is, if Jesus Christ is your good shepherd, he will redeem the bad stuff. The good news is the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. So when bad stuff does just happen, if Jesus Christ is your good shepherd, you're in his hands and he will redeem the bad stuff. But I don't think this is one of those moments that really just happened. We will see in the scheme of history. This is something that just happened. She just happened to be working in the field in the same kind of way that in 1987, after I had accepted a ministry down here in Northern Virginia, and I was still living at my grandparents' place in Conneaut Lake, waiting about two weeks to get it started, three weeks to get it started, Laura Barrick just happened to come visit the lake with her friend, Laura Bennett. And she just happened to walk in our backyard, and I just happened to think, she's cute, and she's fun. I just happened to take her sailing, and I just happened to spend time with her that week. And I 
before she left to go back to Rockville, I just happened to make sure I got her telephone number. And when I moved down here, I just happened to call her so we could go to some baseball games together. And we, th this year, we just happened to celebrate 33 years of marriage. Okay, we just, thank you. I think that is worthy of, that is worthy of a yay God. I don't think it's a just happened at all. It may look like just happened down here, but up here, I think God was at work in that. It's no accident that Ruth here is working in Boaz's field. No accident at all. And God is working in your life. Look at your friendships. Look at your relationships. Have they just happened? I don't think it just happened that the first family that I met, one of the first families I met when I moved to Washington, D.C. In, in Springfield, Virginia in 1987 was the Ferguson family. Um, if you don't know Pat Ferguson's, our executive minister, the Fergusons have become like, have been like family to me. New life would not be new life without the Fergusons. In the lower story, you see, God's work is not always obvious, but in the upper story, He's always at work in our friendships. It may feel like you just happened to invite a friend today, that you just happened to come here as a result of a friend's invitation today. But it may be in 10 years from now, you look back and say, it didn't just happen. God was at work in ways that I didn't realize. Boaz notices this new woman working in his field. Verse 5, he says to his servant who's in charge, whose young woman is this? Loosely translated, she's cute. You know, she is, who is that? I don't think that he means, who is this intellectually sound young lady? I, Boaz is told who she is, and then he goes to Ruth, and he says, listen, my daughter, notice there's an age difference there. Don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here with my female servants. See which field that they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? I'm going to protect you. When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. I'll take care of you. And Ruth fell down, face down, bowed, her, bowed to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor with you that you noticed me, although I am a foreigner? No rights, no dignity to be a foreigner. Boaz said, well, I've heard how kind you've been to Naomi, my relative. I appreciate your faithfulness. And I also think you're kind of cute. That's not actually in the text, but I think it's kind of hinted. At mealtime, he gives her special treatment in verse 15. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered the young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them to gather for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. He's given her special treatment. There's something going on. Well, she goes back home and she reports later that night what all, to, to, to Naomi all that Boaz has done and Naomi is not naive. Naomi's like, huh. Boaz is interested. Ruth, he's, she says, it's good for you to work in Boaz's field with Boaz's worker. You know, I mean, it is good. Now you say, of course she says that. No, not of course. I'm going to talk about this later in a devotional this week, but, but Ruth, but Naomi could have been very jealous here of Boaz. Boaz is a threat to her relationship with Ruth. What if she starts giving more attention to Boaz and less to Naomi. 
But Naomi is more concerned for her friend than herself. So she starts to play Cupid. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi sees things are not developing here very fast and says, My daughter, isn't Boaz our relative? One paraphrase fills in the gaps. Isn't Boaz our relative? Maybe it's time to make a move. <laughs> Naomi notices that there's a romance there, but nothing's happening. You know, on the one hand, Boaz probably thinks he's too old. On the other hand, Ruth is a woman. She's a foreigner. She's shy. She doesn't have any rights here. So Naomi comes up with a plan. She gives some advice. She says, um, uh, in the evening, you're going to go out. He's going to go out and winnow barley. He's going to come and clean up. When he does that, wash and perfume, put on your best clothes, verse 4. And when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. Then he will explain to you what, he should, what you should do. You're saying, whoa, all of a sudden we've moved from the Bible to HBO. You know, it's like, no, there's, there's nothing bad, nothing immoral that's happening here. She uncovers his feet to wake him up. She's letting him know that she's interested in marriage. One commentator said, although Naomi's instructions may appear forward, the moral integrity of Ruth is never in doubt. In fact, in verse 11 of chapter 3, Boaz will say, all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. What Ruth is doing, Naomi wants Ruth to let Boaz know that she wants him to marry her. They said, what in the world is going on here? It would be really helpful if we were Hebrew people living in those days to understand what's going on here. But this is what's going on. Um, in ancient times, uh, there was nothing more vulnerable than to be a widow, a widow or an orphan and a foreigner. And so God made provision. See, and there were a lot of widows because there were a lot of wars, uh, killing a lot of men, leaving a lot of widows. And widows, once you were widowed, you lost your family inheritance, you lost your family land, you had no money, um, you were vulnerable. And so to, to, to protect, to take care of widows, God had set up a system where the closest relative, the closest male relative would marry the widow and have children with the widow and that widow, the, 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 the children of that widow then would not only be able to take responsibility eventually for the widow and, and the future, but, but the, the inheritance would go to them. The family name would still be carried on and wouldn't be lost. The family property would not be lost to somebody else. It would still be carried on by the family. Now, the name of that next of kin in the Bible was called the kinsman redeemer, or sometimes it's translated now kins family redeemer. The family redeemer was also responsible to buy back any member of the family who'd been sold into slavery to pay the family debts. They're responsible to take care of and to support the entire family. So Naomi right now is not saying, Ruth, go seduce big bad Boaz. She is saying, let Boaz know you want him to be your kinsman redeemer. Chapter 3, verse 5, so Ruth said to her, I will do everything as you say. Another lesson here about godly friendship is that godly friends seek and listen to wisdom from godly friends. 
The value of godly friendship is that God can use those friends to make a difference in our lives for his leadership. You know, somebody said that real friends tell you when your face is dirty. (laughs) Real friends help you with your blind spots. Real friends will speak speak God's truth to you. Godly friends. But let me be clear here. We're talking about godly friends. Don't just seek friends from everybody. And don't just seek uh, wisdom from people who just go to church. Again, it's startling, but just recently, George Barna, the researcher, has said 6% of people that go to church have a biblical worldview. Let that sink in. Six out of every hundred people in this place actually see the world biblically. So if you go to somebody, just because they go to church, you may ask them for advice. Hey, do you think I should make this decision? Do you think I should date this person? Do you think I should, you know, break up with this person? Do you think I should take this risk? Unless they are thinking biblical, unless they have a, see the danger today is people talk about my truth or they take biblical stuff out of context to try to make it feel, make it fit with the world. It's called syncretism. Godly friends seek godly counsel from people who have godly wisdom. Biblical advice. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, plans fail for where there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Do you realize Ruth fails at this point without godly counsel? Boy, what God wants to do in our lives. What, what stories he's writing in the upper story that if we don't have a Naomi in our life, we're gonna miss it. But here's the challenge those deep relationships don't develop instantly, do they? Ruth and Naomi have been walking with each other for a long time. And um, if you get, once you get into the middle of the crisis, you can't just flip on a switch and have that relationship there. That's why it's important to build the godly friendships now. It's why it's important to worship every week now. It's important to be in a small group now. It's important to be discipled now with people who are a few steps ahead of you spiritually. Fortunately, Ruth did have a Naomi and she listened to her Naomi for wisdom. Verse 7 of chapter 3 says, Boaz ate and drank and went to bed. And at midnight, verse 8, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I'm Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are the family redeemer. Mr. Big Bad, I want you to marry me. And Boaz responds, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. Not exactly Hallmark card romantic there, (laughs) but I guess it works. You have shown me more kindness than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. See, Boaz is so much older, he just assumed she wouldn't be interested in him. But now he's like, yay God, thank you. Love to marry you. But there's a problem, he says. Verse 12, there is another family redeemer ahead of me in line. And we must, we must follow God's processes. If that family redeemer wants to redeem you, I will have to let him redeem you. But if he doesn't, then I will redeem you. 
I love how they don't just rationalize and say, oh, this feels so good, it must be God's will. It doesn't matter what the process is, it doesn't matter what we should do, we're just gonna do this and short, you know, shortcut the thing and, and get it done because this feels so good. No, we're gonna follow God's process, we're gonna follow God's law, we're gonna follow God's principle, and if God wants this, by following his principles, we'll, we'll see that it's true. Naomi goes home, or I'm sorry, Ruth goes home that night that morning, actually, and gets up. And uh, verse 16, she goes home to her mother-in-law, and Naomi says, uh, what happened, my daughter? Again, it's more like, tell me, tell me, tell me. What happened, what happened, what happened? You're no ball night, well, what happened? Ruth told her everything that the man had done. Verse 18, Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Again, I'm gonna, this week devotionally, I'm going to give you some more details about what literally happens next. But the, basically, it, the kinsman redeemer, the first one says, I can't take responsibility. I'm not going to take responsibility for this. It would ruin me financially. And so Boaz says, well, I want to marry her. I want to redeem her. And you're asking the question, why in the world is this in the Bible? It's a nice story about a couple of friends, but why is it in the Bible? Verse 13 of chapter 4, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and she slept and he slept with her. And the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. You know, the Bible says weeping may last for the light night, but joy comes in the morning. One of the things that happens you can be confident of when Jesus is your good shepherd is even though you may weep for the night, maybe some of you walk into this place and you feel like you've been weeping all night long and like there's no chance of, more, of, of, of a joyful morning. Put your life in Jesus' hands. Though, joy, though weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. There's joy here in romantic love and marriage and having a child and being a family, God's provision. Verse 14 and the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has left you, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. Oh, it will be. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. What a wonderful story. But it gets better. Verse 16, Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. And the women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David. Remember Bethlehem would become the town of David? And 1,300 years later, a child would be born in Bethlehem who is a descendant of David, born of a virgin, and his name would be Jesus. Why is this in the Bible? It's a story about Jesus. God uses this relationship between these two godly women who are faithful in friendship, who seek God's wisdom and do and, and live God's way so that 1,300 years later, Naomi 
and Ruth will have a great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ, who comes into the world to save the world, who touches you and me today. Nobody has been changed, nobody has changed the world more than Jesus Christ. See, a couple of things I would have you take out of this. First of all, in the lower story, this story just looks like a couple of French, a couple of friends, a couple of good friends, a couple of godly friends. In the upper story, God is changing the worlds. God is doing more in their friendship than they could ever imagine. And God is doing more in your friendships than you can imagine. How many of you this day come here and God is more where you look at your friendships. And you don't think there much, that there's much going on. But if you will be faithful and if you will be patient and if you will share your faith you have with, with your friends, you have no idea how God wants to bless you and others and maybe even generations in the future because you are a good, faithful, godly friend. I have friends who've influenced me that way. How about you? This is a story of more than two friends, but two friends that God used more than they could see. But ultimately, this story is to give us a picture of Jesus Christ himself. See, Boaz is the family redeemer. He's the one who pays the price to redeem this poor foreign woman, Ruth. Jesus is our family redeemer. He came into the world to pay the redemption price when you and I were outsiders of God's family. Ephesians 2.12 says, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, just like Ruth, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, like Ruth, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. 1 John 3, 1 is wonderful. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called to God's children, and we are. And so today, you and I can be God's children because Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who sacrificed all so we could be part of the family. That is the whole story of the Bible. That is God's story for you and me. Listen, nobody else is coming to be your kinsman redeemer. There's nobody else who has standing before God to pay the price for you and me, to give us hope and a future, only Jesus. He has done all that he can to redeem you, but now you have to decide to take the initiative. You have to decide to accept him in his redemption, and I pray that you will. What is God doing in your friendships today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. I thank you for this account of these two women 30, you know, th you know over 3,000 years ago who are touching our lives today. Lord, it's so easy in the lower story, living in the lower story for us just to see the temporary things in our lives in such a small way. What a blessing you might want to be with of these uh, two people in future generations by people in this room right now if we would just be your people, if we would just allow you to redeem us and we would allow you to be our good shepherd and we would follow you every day. Lord, help us to be like 
Naomi, bold and sharing faith in you. Help us to be like Ruth, faithful, principled character for your glory. Help each of us to take the next step that you have for us. Through Christ we pray, amen.